This is Daniel Fagella, Head of Research at Emerge Artificial Intelligence Research, and you're listening to the AI and Business Podcast. Our topic for this episode is about advantage. You could argue that everything we cover here is about advantage. If you learn a new use case, you take advantage of a new trend, you build a better strategy, certainly that's all advantage. But let's just cut straight to the chase and talk about how are some companies pulling ahead of others? What are the dynamics of kind of AI power and data power, if you will? They're having some companies get closer and closer to growth and even monopoly positions. We have famous examples like Amazon and Google and the companies that fall behind. Our guest this week is Ash Fontana. He is Managing Director at Zeta Venture Partners based out in the Bay Area. Ash was on the show about a year ago. And back then, he not only had a good episode with us, but he also recommended some great companies, some firms that he's invested in and been connected with who turned into good interviews here. So we're grateful for Ash's support of the program and bringing some great expertise onto the show. And when his publishers reached out, when his new book, The AI First Company, came out, which was in May of this year, we thought it would be a good idea to bring him back on the program and talk a little bit about some of the core lessons that he's learned and find ways to make them transferable to everybody listening in. If you're a consultant and you're working with companies and you want to help them unlock their advantage, if you're an enterprise leader in innovation or in the C-suite or in a particular division or department, the lens of thinking that Ash provides here in terms of how to build momentum around data and pull away with a genuine moat that can be a strategic advantage for the long term is something that I think is pretty much ubiquitously applicable no matter what industry you're in. So some great transferability in the lessons learned in this episode, and I hope you get a lot out of it. I should note also that this is one of two episodes that we've recorded with Ash. So he also recorded a separate episode with us about how services companies can turn into AI product companies. So there's a lot of technology and strategy services firms sort of driving their revenue by doing one project after another. And some companies are able to pivot into a scalable product find some kind of an AI use case that'll genuinely scale so they're not trading time for dollars. And Ash did an entirely separate interview on that topic on our AI consulting podcast. So if you like this episode, or you're just interested in how to unlock value and learning from some of the best leaders in the AI services space, then check out the AI consulting podcast. You can go to Apple Podcasts, or you can go to Spotify or SoundCloud or wherever you download your podcasts and type in the AI consulting podcast and stay subscribed there as well. And tune into Ash's other episode in that show, I thought there was just as much insight there. And again, if you're interested in making that chasm from individual AI projects to something that scales, that is going to be an interview you're not going to want to miss. So check out the AI Consulting Podcast if you haven't already. And otherwise, enjoy the insights in this one. This is Ash Fontana with Zeta Venture Partners here on the AI and Business Podcast. So, Ash, I'm glad we're able to catch up again. It's been, geez, maybe a year or a little bit more since we chatted last from across the coast. And in that time, you've come out with a new book. There's so much to cover there, we couldn't possibly tackle it all in one episode. But one of your core insights that this is predicated on is this idea of data learning effects. I want to kind of crack this idea open in terms of how you explain it to business people, and then we can go into some examples. So if you wouldn't mind, let's uh, let's kick it off there. Yeah, sure. A data learning effect is a new type of competitive advantage. And it's the type of competitive advantage that I think best describes what's possible with AI. And it's more powerful than any other type of competitive advantage I think we've seen. So the problem was no one really had a definition of it anywhere or had even come up with that term. So I decided to do that, come up with that and define it 
in a, a verbal and also a mathematical way in the book. So what is it? It's the automatic compounding of information. And there are three words that are important there, automatic compounding and information. So I'll go through them in reverse order. So the first thing you need to build a data learning effect is data. You need a critical mass of data from which you might be able to sort of glean some information. The second thing you need is the capability to process that data into information, clean it up, contextualize it, put it in the right place, put it next to other data, uh, label it, etc. And then so once you've got information, not just data anymore, then you can feed it into a self-learning system that automatically compounds the value of the information. That's where things like machine learning come in. So again, to have a data learning effect, you need critical mass of raw data, the capabilities to process it into information, and models that can learn over that information. So let's bring this down to an example. Just having a whole bunch of ones and zeros, a bunch of records of someone purchasing something or not, doesn't really tell you all that much. So to process that data into information, capability of adding demographics, were they young, old, male, female, what was their income, etc. And so you can start getting a picture of the customer with information. And then you can feed all of those dimensions of someone's uh, demographic um, or sociographic profile into a machine learning model, and they can predict when that person might next buy something. And so that's a really simple, somewhat generic, but simple example um, of how a data learning effect could be put into play, for example, in an e-commerce application. Got it. Okay, cool. So uh, this idea of data learning effects uh, is composed of those three elements. Totally makes sense. And you mentioned you know, the example right there. I guess the paramount example running off of the e-commerce point that you just made might be an Amazon, right? Who has so much uh, data learning effects in, in, in their everything store. It becomes pretty darn tough to compete with that in terms of competitive advantage. You probably like to use better examples than Amazon, so I don't mean to put words in your mouth, but where do you see this stuff coming to life in ways that really click for business people where they kind of get it? They can look in the world with this pair of goggles and see what you've seen. Yeah, I mean, you can look at the first example I've found of an AI-first company, which is Google. You can see that they were very deliberate about collecting data from day one, and they gave away products. They made decisions to invest in products that were explicitly to gather data. They put machine learning to work in the core search engine from day one, and now they have an unassailable advantage. And you can see this across the board. You know, you use Netflix because it has better content. It's got a pretty good brand because it has a really good recommendation engine. You use Spotify because it has a really good discover playlist. And these companies get lock-in with their users because of the recommendations they offer, not for some other reason, their brand or otherwise. It all sort of plays in. But the fundamental reason why they are so far ahead of everyone else is they've automatically compounded information of their, about their customers to make predictions about what they will demand and when so that they can supply it, they can deliver them what they want when they want it. Yeah, and I guess if you if you get people to come back enough, then that's just more data to feed on. And then if you have an even better product because they came back again, then they come back again, and then that's more data to feed on. At some point, nobody's getting more search volume than Google. Nobody's getting more purchases of general products than Amazon. And now all of a sudden you have exactly. the runaway learning that ain't nobody going to catch up with. So I think you know one of the most compelling things for for business folks in terms of 
you know, well, is this AI, this AI stuff a big deal? Kind of to your point here, I think the reason we can all say it is, is because the most powerful companies in the world, many of them are actually predicated on AI. I mean, is there really a good Facebook experience, Netflix experience, Amazon, Google experience without AI? And, and like you just mentioned, I guess Google's a great example of a first sort of AI first firm. So they, they may have maybe yeah. understood this before there was a, before there was a name for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think they did. And, you know, you brought up all of those examples of big companies, but, you know, you can see this playing out in specific industries as well. The company that is the most deliberate about gathering data first has the opportunity to build this competitive advantage by being the first company in the industry to automate a key part of the production process so that they can sell everything, they can supply everything at a much, much cheaper price. You can see this in robotics, you know, if you, and robots are just like collections of little AIs all, all yeah, strung together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the, the companies that invested in automation through robotics in the car industry are the ones that leaped ahead of everyone else, like Toyota in the 80s and before and like Tesla today. And so they're able to provide a really good product at a really good price and they get a runaway advantage. You know, robotics is a funny one because a lot of robots in the past were more rule-based systems rather than self-learning systems. Yeah. But it, it does illustrate the point. And the point is, you know, you can see this playing out in tech, but you can see it playing out in any other industry as well, where, again, the company that figures out how to predict something or automate something before anyone else will be able to sell more if they can predict demand and supply cheaper if they can automate supply. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I guess, you know, as we talk about applying this idea, I know that's what our listeners are going to be interested in doing. I can think of a, a hundred examples where this could be a real runaway success. You know, maybe we're, we're an HVAC company and we do HVAC for big office buildings. And if we can IOT whatever our equipment is and the sensors in the different rooms, we might be able to more energy efficiently keep things hot or cool at the perfect temperature than any other company. Because we can look at the orchestration, we can look at the IOT, we can have some generative model that, that sort of can level things out. And then that'll win us more deals, more, more buildings. And then as with more buildings, we get even more data. And then at some point, if you want to not be overpaying for you know temperature control, you're going to go with us or nobody. Kind of like if I want to find whatever damn product I want to find, I go with Amazon or I go with nobody. So you could have this kind of data dominance dynamic happen in all kinds of niches. At the same time, Ash, we see startups and, and you see as many of them as we do, uh, you're, you're throwing money behind them. We're just covering them who, you know, anti-money laundering maybe, or enterprise search maybe, you name the use case, where by golly, they got a heck of a lot of data, you know, about how laundering is tracked in bank A. But, you know, <laughs> damned if they do, but, you know, after 70 million raised, it's just really tough to transfer much more than process knowledge from one bank to another to actually set that up. So where are the areas where you think this dynamic has the most possibility to bloom? Because there are clearly some dark corners where the transferability client to client, especially on the B2B side, and you might think of it differently, by the way, I'd love to hear that, maybe don't work as well. So what are your thoughts there? Yeah, that's a really good way of framing up the opportunity set, I think. And that's certainly how I approach a lot of conversations, which is, look, how easily could you transfer the learnings from this model from one customer to another? Is each customer set? Is their production processes is the core thing you're trying to understand with this model or the, the core reality that you are trying to model totally different between customers or actually fairly similar in some ways. And I think, you know, 
stopping there is um and, and just sort of thinking about that framework is really productive rather than going into like very specific examples across industries but i guess some other factors to keep in mind are you know how willing are customers in certain industries how willing are they to share models at all to share data at all and if they're not willing if they don't have the propensity to do that or desire to do that well you know, you might not be able to build a scalable AI company in that industry. And if they are, then you can. How willing are customers to, you know, be part of a system that everyone can use? Because in some industries, it doesn't really matter. The pool of potential, you know, users or customers is big and in others it's not. And so, you know, using heuristics like that to sort of figure out the best opportunities, you can start realizing, huh, more regulated industries, industries where user data has to be kept more private are perhaps smaller opportunities for applications of AI because you can't do what you're saying before, which is build models you can use across customers. Yeah, or, or is there also a factor here of just the bespokeness client to client? So certainly in the anti-money laundering case, and we could talk about anything. I could talk about CRMs with you. I could talk about 100 use cases where in B2B, it doesn't seem to plug in from one customer to the next. But let's let's talk AML. So in AML, sure, some of it, you know, we got real regulatory compliance. We got a lot of clamp down around what information we can actually give to this startup that wants to track fraud. Another part of it is we're using this kind of data in this kind of format, in this kind of a combination accessed in this way. Um, and we tend to put a lot of emphasis on this process here in bank number one. And then bank number two, we probably have half the same data, maybe even 70% the same kinds of data, but there's new kinds, there's new process, there's new systems they're stored in potentially. There might even new ways that even simple things like names or, or addresses are, are, are actually like, you know, listed in some sense. And so some of it is also just, is the uniformity of the information from situation to situation coherent enough? Is that, is that another part of the mix to maybe think through? Yeah, it is for sure. I mean, I guess a counterpoint or a countervailing force even here sure, is sure. that you know, a lot of models are fairly generalizable inherently, as in they're, they're doing something that is um, quite generic, like recognizing something in an image, in a text file, in whatnot. And, you know, at the end of the day, we have words and sounds and colors, um, and lots of what we do can be reduced to a set of words in a dictionary, uh, sounds within a certain frequency or that make up certain frequencies at certain times, and colors that go down to an RGB value, red, green, blue value. So, you know, a lot of what we do can be generalized at a fundamental level, into, at least in terms of a way a computer understands it. And so while a lot of the information to sort of get down to the difference between information and data is not generalizable or usable between customers, the data is. And, you know, with the right transformation on that to protect it and respect it, you know, you can still do machine learning over it. So again, you know, I, maybe I'll break this down to say, if it's a recognition problem or a perception problem, perceiving something in sound, reading something in text or recognizing something in image, it probably is generalizable. If it's a problem that involves a whole series of rules that sort of determine whether or not something is done or good or bad or gets a yes, no answer, it's probably not generalizable. So I guess it depends on the sort of elaborate client-specific logic that's required in a decision. Whereas if the decision is fairly simple, like 
is this an X or a Y? There's not really elaborate logic that you need to sort of go through to make up that decision. So it depends. Got it, got it. So yeah, to your point, it's it's almost a, you know, a, another layered level of thinking about this, the difference between data and information. Is there a way to still make the data commonalities transferable, even if, you know, in, in your framing of the difference there, you know, the information might be somewhat different. So point noted there. You know, as, as you talk to folks, you know, in, in big companies who are thinking about finding opportunities for this, you know, where could we build this kind of data learning advantage and start spinning this flywheel? You know, the classic advice, at least on some level, is sort of, okay, well, you know, where are we collecting data that may, might have a lot of business value or a lot of value to users potentially? And also, maybe we just have more of it or access to more of it than other folks. You know, we market research world here, worked with a firm once that had a really strong national majority in a very particular kind of, of healthcare benefits, very, very specific eye, eye care related, like to at a really national level, nobody was even half their size. And it kind of seemed like, okay, well, hey, maybe with Ash's idea here, maybe that would be a place to start. But you have, you know, you have ways that you advise people think through this. What's a good beginning point to come up with some great advantage ideas? Yeah. And this is sort of the point of the book, which is I think everyone should be asking that question every day at work, no matter what their role is, no matter how big or small their company is. You know, asking that exact question that you just asked is a great way to start building an AI first company. And you can do it tomorrow, even if your company started 100 years ago. And, you know, I think it's just looking at fundamentally, what's the thing we do over and over again that we don't want to do anymore or that is too expensive to do? So that's an automation question. Or what's something we'd like to know a bit ahead of time? That's a prediction question. How do we want to peer around the corner as in how would knowing this thing, just with some degree of certainty, not total certainty today, what's something that we could know that would really help us? So, you know, it's sort of basic questions like that in a way, but it gets into questions that are sort of leading you down a path or hunting for an advantage. And so it's it's some of the things you you hinted at, which are where do we have like a truly unique data set? I want to hunch around something that could be really, really valuable that we've just accidentally collected. Or where do we have a huge amount of process knowledge built up? So, you know, a very elaborate set of rules that we execute over and over again that no one else really gets um, and leads us to produce a higher quality product or something like that. Because those rules can be programmed into a system and then executed more reliably and the system can maybe learn one or two additional steps in a process that could be helpful or lead to an even higher quality product or a product with less defects. So I think it goes to that. Where have we got data that no one else has? And where have we got process knowledge that no one else has? Uh, okay, nice. So, so potentially two pairs of goggles to put on. And, and man, I got to say, Ash, you know, I look out in the, the business world now, and I think the process knowledge side of that equation, even among startups, is just underplayed. Like, oh, yeah, no, our, our algorithms oh, yeah. will work in all industries. Oh, no, no, no issues. We can jack this into insurance. No problem. Really, though? Really? How well do you know those workflows? How well do you know those end users? How do you know yeah. the, the infrastructure in that particular freaking environment? It, it's just a, you know, that, that advantage is strong. So I think it's cool that you brought that up. And I think to your point uh, around uh, asking this question every day at work, is it just mm. a matter of, you know, clearly people can read the book, they can get a, a deeper conceptual understanding. If you want to turn your employees into detectors of these AI opportunities, Ash, 
what kind of fundamental knowledge? They don't all need to know Python, but maybe they need to know basic no. use cases. Maybe they need to understand AI at a conceptual level. What do I need to do as an enterprise leader to make sure the folks under me can put on these antennae that allow them to detect uh, stuff? What do they got to learn? That's a great question. And I'd actually go pretty far where most people think they need to start in terms of education. Most people think it's around coding, computer science, and programming and whatnot. I don't think it is. I think it's just about having the language to talk about this sort of competitive advantage and some general understanding of the power of the system, not how they get there, but where they get to. So not how they work, but what they enable, and that is they enable data learning effect. They enable you to learn faster than the competition. They enable you to win. And that's what this book does, which is it just gives you that vocabulary so that you can speak about this competitive advantage. You can speak about how you can win. And in speaking about it, you talk through the components, the data, how you clean the data, the models you make, and how it sort of loops over itself again and again and again to get better and better. And then, you know, other concepts around that, well, how do you know it's working? You actually can just go back to pretty fundamental principles that any commercial person can understand, like a return on investment or a unit cost of making a prediction or, you know, separating out research and development from the cost of the goods you're selling. So, you know, what I think one can do with this sort of vocabulary is really bridge the gap between basic commercial concepts, you know, from accounting, from finance, and from strategy, and the world of artificial intelligence. Got it. Yeah. So sort of stretching from their existing domain knowledge as opposed to starting from scratch with linear algebra and support vector machines. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. I couldn't agree with you more in that regard. So hopefully that's some practical advice for folks who are looking to not only potentially apply this idea of AI advantage, but also be able to enable their team to think more about it as well. Ash, I know that's all we have for time for this interview, but thanks so much for being able to join us again. Thank you. So that's all for this episode of the AI and Business Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening all the way through to the end of this episode. And a big thank you to Ash for being able to hop back in and join us. It's great to have some venture capital perspective every now and again. And this topic of advantage is something that's close to our heart here at Emerge. We do not communicate to the folks who write the Python here at Emerge, generally speaking. We talk to the folks that are leading business, that are building strategy, that are forming a vision. And why are we forming a vision? Well, hopefully to be able to win in the market. And I thought that Ash's ideas were a great contribution to that general thread here at Emerge that we're trying to carry. So appreciate him being with us. As I mentioned in the intro, Ash was also on our AI consulting podcast. If you are yourself a consultant or may one day want to become one, or you simply want to learn some of the AI use case and adoption lessons from top leaders at firms like Cognizant and Accenture, then go check out the AI consulting podcast. It certainly helps us support us to have more listeners on our varied shows. And if you are a consultant specifically, you'll find that that podcast is even more tailored to your specific needs. We have a lot of different listeners here on the AI and Business Show, about half Half of you are in the enterprise world, um, some of you are in research, and some of you are in the consulting space. The AI Consulting Podcast is really exclusively for folks who are in the services industry. So check that out if it's of interest. And otherwise, thanks for being tuned in on this episode. I look forward to catching you in the next one here on the AI and Business Podcast. <laughs>